0: You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Well, identity is all the rage today, the topic of identity. And growing up, I had many identities. I was a candy salesman, I was a makeshift pet shop owner, a cashier, a football player, a student, a contractor, a pastor. But there's nothing better this morning than to be a child of God, am I right? Amen. Today's passage is all about identity, who we are in Jesus Christ, who he has made us through the death and resurrection of himself. Uh, Now, for a lot of us, uh, perhaps a passage like this is going to strike us as very familiar. It's going to strike us as very basic. Uh, It's going to be perhaps some scriptures that we're familiar with. But this morning, if you find yourself in Jesus Christ, if you find yourself having faith in him this morning, we're going to see so much richness in this passage. We're going to see so much depth in this passage. We're going to be reminded of all the great things, all the richness, all the amazing things that God has done for us in Jesus Christ by the power of his Spirit. My main idea is going to be up on the screen. This is perhaps the first time I don't have a clever introduction. I'm going on vacation today, and I'm only on two hours of sleep, so we're just going to get right to it. My main idea, hey, who wooed that? Those are really clever each each week. Um, My main idea is going to be up on the screen. It's uh, going to be pretty simple this morning, and it's this. Embrace the identity you have in Jesus Christ. Embrace your identity in Jesus Christ. Embrace the identity you have in him, because when we do that, it changes everything. It changes everything. It will make us the right leader, the right spouse, the right friend, the right parent, the right citizen. If we lead from a place of belonging, if we do life from a place where we're not naive about the darkness within, if we live life from a place where we know where history is going, redemption, seeing him face to face, we'll lead, we'll live, we'll love, we'll do life in a new way, the right way. God's way. Now, my outline is going to be up on the screen and it's also going to flow right from the text. Two points this morning flow right from the passage that uh, we've read. Number one, overcoming the flesh. We'll see that in verses 12 through 14. And then, secondly, embracing our adoption. Overcoming the flesh, embracing our adoption. Two points this morning flow right from the passage of Scripture. Now, Last week, as kind of a way of review, last week we finally arrived at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is sometimes called the greatest chapter in the Bible because it's so crystal clear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 8 starts with, there is now no condemnation, and then Romans 8 ends with, there is now no separation. There is now no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ, It starts with, and then it ends on, there is now no separation for those in Jesus Christ. In Romans 8, the gospel this morning is that if we're in Christ, if we're connected to him by faith, if we've been united to him by his spirit, our condemnation, our guilt, our sin, our fear of waiting to get what we think we deserve for all the things that nobody knows about, all of that has been taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ, who paid the price, who died for us. And in Romans 8, the gospel for us this morning is that if you find yourself in Jesus Christ, if you find yourself having faith in him, the Messiah of God, if you find yourself being connected to him, he has not left you alone. It's not just forgiveness and that's it. He doesn't just drop us off and say, figure it out, chump. No, he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Through his resurrection from the dead, he has given us his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God, an outer power that creates an inner wonder in our lives, the spirit that's transforming our lives, changing our lives, empowering our lives, making us more like Jesus every day. Now, as we continue Romans 8, this really leads us to our first point this morning, overcoming the flesh overcoming the flesh. Verse 12, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Now, why is that? Well, because he's forgiven us, because he's loved us, because he's changed us, because he's given us his spirit. The application is we're dead to sin now. Our relationship with sin has changed. Since coming to faith in Christ, our relationship with it has changed. We don't have to live under the control of our old master anymore. We owe nothing to the flesh. The picture is that we were once enslaved. We were once in Egypt. We had hard masters. But one day God appeared, and through the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost of our homes, we were passed over. He took us out of our slavery. He parted the seas for us, and now day by day He leads us by His Spirit in the wilderness, to the promised land. We owe nothing to the flesh. We're debtors, Paul says, to God and to his mercy. Now notice that word flesh here is really important. That word flesh there doesn't mean body. It's not saying it's the body versus the soul. The Greek word there for flesh is the word sarx, and it has to do with our sinful nature, our self-centered human nature. The picture is, is that when we sinned in the garden, we lost our relationship to God. And when we lost our relationship to God, everything else broke. At the center of our hearts isn't God anymore. We're now the Lord of our lives. We're the captain of our souls. We decide what's right and what's wrong for us. This is called the flesh, the sinful nature, the fallen nature. And the problem with it is that living in it actually creates every other problem. Let me just say that again. The problem with the flesh, living in the flesh, living in the sinful nature, is that living in it actually creates every other problem. Now why is that? Why is that? Well because it's not how we were designed. We were designed for God. In God's glory to be at the center of our whole lives the blazing center of our souls in spirit for God to be our ultimate salvation for God to be our ultimate worth for God to be our ultimate identity for God to be our ultimate hope for him to be ultimate but when he isn't anymore something else is something else is and whatever that something else is there's a chain reaction that happens In the heart, that always leads to compromise, that always leads to sin. Let me give you an example. Think of the the flesh, the sinful nature. Think of the flesh like an operating system. It's an operating system in our hearts. Without God at the center, the operating system is asking, Who is your salvation? What is your salvation? Where do you get your worth? Where do you find your ultimate identity? Where do you find your ultimate hope? The operating system is going to need something in there at the center. It needs an answer. Something has to go in there so that you can have some type of salvation from this mundane world, so that you can have some type of identity and uniqueness in this confusing world, so that you can have some type of hope in this broken world, so we can have some type of esteem, some type of worth. Something has to go in there. Now, what usually goes in there? What usually goes in there? Well, it's almost always good things, isn't it? It's almost always good things. Career, money, relationship, reputation, family, comfort. The little operating system sucks it into the center of our hearts and says, this is what you have to have. If you have it, then you'll be okay. If you don't have it, then you'll be nothing. Without God in there something has to go there. Something that can give you salvation, identity, hope. Now the problem is the problem is once you put something in there, the problem is is it's never going to deliver. It can't. It's not designed to do that. And so what happens is always a chain reaction. A chain reaction that leads to compromise, to sin. So that's how it works. A few examples. Let's take reputation, for instance, this morning. Now, having a good reputation is good. Having a good name is, is important. But what happens if this little operating system has taken reputation and sucked it into the center of your soul? What happens if reputation has become ultimate? Well, now it's unless people like me, unless people respect me, unless people appreciate me, unless these people accept me and welcome me, I'm nothing. And then what happens? Well, it's not going to deliver. And so what happens, of course, is a chain reaction. You'll do everything you can, even if it means compromising to be liked, to be loved, to be respected. And if people criticize you, you won't just be disappointed, which is normal. You won't just be hurt, which is normal. You'll actually be devastated. Now, why is that? Why is that? Well, because the operating system is now driving you into the ground. It's creating a deep lust for approval, for acceptance, because it's telling you, unless people really like you, unless they really love you, unless these people really love you and accept you, that you're nothing. And the result is that lusts will control you. A good thing has become a God thing, and therefore it's a bad thing. And now you're a slave in Egypt. Same with everything else, career, money, relationships, kids, family, comfort, anything can go there. Those things are all good things, but what happens if the little operating system takes one of these things and sucks it into the center? What happens if it's made ultimate? Well, now it's unless I have this, unless I get this, unless they become like this, I'm nothing. And so what happens? Well, it's not going to deliver. And so a chain reaction. You'll do everything you can even if it means to compromise to get it, to have more of it, to make sure they turn out that way. Why? Because the operating system is driving you into the ground. It's creating a lust for more, a lust to make sure it goes that way, a lust to have it because it's telling you this is what you have to have and you'll be okay. It says if you don't have this, then you're nothing. The result, of course, is that your lusts control you. A good thing has become a God thing, and therefore it's a bad thing, and now you're a slave in Egypt. The point is is that living in the flesh, living for yourself, living for what you think is going to save you, living for what you think can give you an ultimate identity, an ultimate hope, an ultimate joy, it's always going to lead to compromise. It's always going to lead to slavery. Verse 13 For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Meaning, metaphorically, you'll die. But also spiritually, you'll die. And one day, literally, eternally, you'll die. As they say, character is destiny. Verse 13 continues. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Meaning, if by the Spirit you die to the old operating system and its lusts, you'll live. Metaphorically, you'll live. Spiritually, you'll live. And one day, literally, eternally, you'll live. Verse 14, a summary statement. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Said another way, everyone who by the Spirit of God fights against the flesh. Everyone who's working to uninstall, we might say, they are the children of God. Those who are in Christ. Now this morning this is a great reminder for us that knowing God and walking with God isn't just a prayer. Knowing God and walking God and loving God isn't just having a great community. Knowing God and walking with God also has to do with walking with the Holy Spirit. And one of the Holy Spirit's goals is to transform us, to make us holy, to make us more like Jesus. Now when we become a Christian, that didn't all happen at once. It happens over time. And here we're reminded that no matter how far we've gone in this journey with Jesus, no matter how far we've gone with God in our faith, until we go and be with Jesus, sin is crouching at our door. Sin is very much so still alive and well within us. In verse 13 and 14 here, we're reminded that to be led by the Spirit is to wage war on the sin within us, to put it to death, to not give into it, to take it seriously. The idea is don't pet the kitty. That's not a kitty. That's a lion, and it will eat you. Now notice that it's really important here. We don't do this alone. We fight against the flesh, the sin within us, verse 14, by the Spirit. We don't do this alone. We fight by the Spirit. Matt Chandler, a pastor down in Texas, says here fighting sin without the Spirit is like open hand slapping a bear. It isn't going to go well for you. The point is, is we don't fight sin and vice without the Spirit's help. Sin is pervasive. It's deeply rooted in us, deeply in our motives, deeply in our hearts, and so we need the Spirit's help to overcome it. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to fight sin within us To not live according to the flesh by the Spirit. Is this like Luke Skywalker using the force? What does this mean? What does it mean to fight by the Spirit? What it means is that we're surrendered to the Spirit. What it means is that we're filled with the Spirit. What it means is that we're in step with the Spirit. And when that happens, what happens is that the Spirit takes the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the beauty of God in the gospel and makes it so real to us. We see and experience Jesus Christ for who he actually is. We see that we have ultimate salvation, that we have the best possible identity as children of God, that we have hope. We see and experience this because he's big enough to fill the hole in our hearts. The things of this earth grow strangely dim as we see the light and the glory of his grace. Now practically, what might this look like? What might this look like to to surrender to the Spirit, to be in step with the Spirit of God, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, this is not an exhaustive list, but here are three. Again, not exhaustive, but here are three. Number one, deep prayer, deep prayer. We pray by the power of the Spirit, through the Spirit, through Jesus Christ, to the Father. Prayer fills us up. It welcomes the power of the Spirit into our lives. It connects us afresh to God. It's not a self-help technique. It's a reliance technique, a reliance on God's power, the power needed to fight the sin in our lives. Number two, hiding the word in our hearts. Hiding the word in our hearts. When Jesus encounters Satan, what does he do? He quotes scripture. Satan tries to tempt him, but Jesus answers accordingly. He answers with verses. Jesus believes it's powerful. The Apostle Paul says the word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It's living and active. The psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. And three, complete surrender. Complete surrender. The goal isn't to negotiate with God. Being filled with the Spirit, being in step with the Spirit, being in sync with the Spirit, the goal isn't to negotiate with God. The goal is to do whatever the Spirit wants in any given situation. The question isn't, how close do I get before it's sin? The question is, Holy Spirit, what do you want in each and every situation? He's not a force to employ. He's a person to surrender to. And we get the power of the Spirit when we do what He wants in each and every situation. So those are three ways, not exhaustive, of course, but three ideas how we fight sin by the power of God's Spirit. The verse continues, and we see our second point this morning. Embracing our adoption, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now notice the contrast here, the spirit of slavery that causes us to fall back into fear versus the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now just as a little side note, it's a good thing that it says adoption as sons. We're all included in that. It's just like the the Bride of Christ language. We're all included in that. In those days, sons got the inheritance, so this is the adoption we want. But notice the contrast. The spirit of slavery that causes us to fall back into fear versus the spirit of adoption as sons, as daughters, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The good news of the gospel this morning is that if you are in Christ this morning, by the power of the Spirit, you have received adoption. Adoption. Adoption into God's family. Through Jesus Christ, we have relationship by the power of the Spirit in knowing God as our Father. We didn't earn that. We didn't work our way into God adopting us. It's not self-made. It's a gift. The Father chose us. The Son redeemed us. And by the power of the Spirit, we've been welcomed into His family. J.I. Packer, who wrote the book, Knowing God, said it best. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. Being adopted by God means that we were once orphans, but now we're in God's house. It means we're loved by God this morning, unconditionally. We have a new ultimate identity. We have a new ultimate hope. We have a new ultimate security, an ultimate shepherd this morning who loves our souls, who will never leave us, who will never forsake us. In the slavery of our old lives, God was a judge to be dreaded. But in the freedom of our new life, he's a father to be loved this morning. Notice the contrast. With the the spirit of slavery, it's the spirit, essentially, of the flesh. It's the human condition, putting something else other than God at the center of our lives, trying to get out of that thing, ultimate salvation, ultimate identity, ultimate hope, ultimate security. But the problem is, it's never going to deliver. It can't. It's not designed to do that. And so the result is the spirit of fear. And the spirit of fear sounds like this. When something else is in, is in there other than God, the spirit of fear which accompanies the spirit of slavery sounds like this. Have I done enough? What if I don't make it? Will I be ruined? Will I be nothing? It's the spirit of fear because it makes us endlessly afraid of not measuring up, of not having enough, or not doing it right. It's radically insecure even if it looks strong on the outside. But the spirit of adoption, notice, The spirit of adoption sets us free from slavery. It sets us free from fear. It's redemption. It's radically secure, even if it shows up weak on the outside. It's secure because God loves us. He fills the center to the uttermost. He's our ultimate salvation. He's our ultimate hope. He's our ultimate security. He's our ultimate joy. And he always delivers because he's God. And as a result, we cry out, Abba. Father, that word Abba is the Greek word for father. And of course, as the writers of the New Testament would have encountered Jesus, they would have heard him say that. So they they capture it in, in the New Testament. It's what Jesus referred to God as. When he prays in the garden, when he falls down and sweats blood, he says Abba, father, it means father. The point is, as sons and daughters, we've received the spirit of the son, and we don't live in fear anymore. We don't live in slavery anymore. But our hearts cry out to God, to the God we know as Father this morning, through Jesus Christ. It's a cry of reliance. It's a cry of weakness. It's a cry of trust, a cry he hears this morning. And in knowing him, we find strength. We find confidence in him. We find our refuge in him always. The passage continues, verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, we know it's true. We know it's true because we've received we know it's true. We receive the spirit of the of adoption because we experience it. To know him, to experience him is, is not just to have good theology or good principles in your life, but at least at some times to sense it, to sense that you are his, to know that you are loved to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's talking about the subjective, the inner witness of the Spirit of God. The passage goes on, verse 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. In adoption, all that belongs to the adoptive parents becomes the possession of the child who is adopted. You become an heir. This is what we are in Christ. The God of creation loves us this morning. We are heirs of God and co-heirs of Jesus Christ, which means that everything that Jesus has coming, we now have coming. What's coming to him is coming to us. All the riches of heaven, all the unthinkable blessings in him are ours, provided we keep the faith, Notice verse 17, provided we finish the race. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Said another way, everyone who suffers with him, they're heirs of God. They're fellow heirs with Christ. They are children of God. The suffering itself is the sign of being in Christ. Now, this is a great reminder for us this morning as we close, that knowing God and walking with God is not just saying a prayer. It's not just having a great community. Knowing God and walking with God also has to do with walking with Jesus. And with Jesus, there's a pattern. There's a pattern of of suffering, but glory. Of suffering, but glory. With Jesus, the world didn't accept him as their own. People didn't understand him. He was despised, he was rejected, but his attitude was always, your will be done, not my own. Your will be done, not my own. He was faithful. He trusted God. And the result was that his death led to life. His weakness led to strength. Suffering, but glory. What's being said here is that if we walk with Jesus, we'll do the same. We'll go through this broken life, and because God is our Father, because we have the Spirit, we'll say, not my will, but your will be done. We'll keep him at the center. We'll keep him at the center of our hearts. And when we do, things can go wrong. Things will go wrong. It can hurt. But because God owns it all, and because God rules it all, It means that the things that come into your life, the pain that you take on by faith, God is going to use those things to change you. He's going to turn weakness into strength, suffering into glory. To know our identity, to know our future in Jesus Christ changes everything. It will make us the right leader, the right spouse, the right citizen, the right parent, the right friend if we lead from a place of belonging, if we we lead from a place where we're not naive about the darkness within, if we lead from a place where we know history is going somewhere, redemption, where we'll see God face to face, we'll lead, we'll live, we'll love in a new way, in the right way, in a way that pleases God.